before we get into our message, there's just a couple of things I wanted to kind of bring up to you. Uh, a little bit of a teaching moment. We're going to gather for our annual meeting uh, a week from tonight, and um, this is a gathering of our, of our members together, and we'll be adopting a budget and electing leaders and those kinds of things, and, and our members will hear a little bit more about that this week. But um, when we gather on su- Sunday night, it's going to look a lot like a democracy, and the registered voters are going to get to vote, but really the objective is for it to be a theocracy where God is ruling his church through his people. And that's why we have a very intentional process for our members, because our membership is about identifying those who we can say these are the faithful ones to whom we can entrust the future of the gospel at Hope Chapel. And there are some here who clearly are worthy of that, if you will, but just haven't agreed to be a part of our membership process And that's okay on their end, but that's what our membership process is about. It's not trying to get into the club and play in your thing. It's just say, is this the kind of person that's going to help Hope Chapel in terms of what they believe and their sense of calling and their relationship with God? Is this the kind of person that's going to Hope Chapel be a theocracy where God actually can rule his church through his people? And so, and we're actually going to be having a membership class right after this service today. We've got some food coming in, and if you'd love to be a part of that, we'd like to have you stay and be a part of it. Some of you also uh, maybe didn't read my column this week, so I wanted to highlight a couple of things, just so you're aware of things. So I, I, you know, I know you get a lot of things in your inbox, right? But one of those things I mentioned is that for the first time in 17 years, and probably the better part of 800, at least 750 sermons here at Hope Chapel, I'm actually going to take a 10-week sabbatical for the very first time. And um, I'm going to get away and, you know, um, I know, some of you said, man, it wouldn't be nice to have a 10-week vacation. And I got to tell you, I'm really not looking at it as vacation. I wish I was in some ways, but I'm not. I'm really looking at it as kind of like the off-season. It's a chance for me to kind of step back a little bit and get into the training room and get... Get, get refreshed a little bit and retooled and re-strengthened. There's a chance to kind of get in the film room. I'll stay with my, my uh, sports kind of thing and really look at the playbook and see what I've been doing and let God show me some things that I really can't see when you're preparing week in and week out for, for the next day. So it's a, some ways trying to get off the ministry field and maybe get onto the practice field. And so that's, I'm not going to be gone. I'm going to be in for a couple of services. I'm going on the mission trip. I'll be here for some of VBS, that kind of stuff. I'll be meeting with leadership a little bit through the course of the summer. But for the most part, I'm not going to be here on, on Sunday mornings. For, and so, and I appreciate your prayers as a part of that. And I'm really grateful for the support of the elders and the staff and making that all that happen. The other thing I want you to be aware of, and this is going to start as of the first Sunday in July, we're going to have a single service at 930. We've never done this before since we've moved into the building, but we're, we, we really just want to give our teams a chance to breathe this summer, right? You know, when you're trying to run two Kids Connects every single Sunday, it takes a lot of leaders. And some of the times we, and since a lot of you were gone during the summer, those who we here trying to make it happen are working all that much harder to get it to happen. And that goes through with our hospitality team, our greeting team, right on down our worship team. And so we're, we're, we didn't want to make you guys back all the way up to 9 o'clock, and we didn't want the 9 o'clock people to have to move all the way to 9.30, so we compromised at 9, to 10.30, so we compromised at 9.30, and we hope it works. 
And we actually hope that there'll be an extra energy in the room, especially as we get past July 4th, because there'll be so, so, some more, there'll be more spirit-carrying temples present in the sanctuary at one time, you know, and that kind of idea. And so um, we're just going to do it for July and August. If it's a good thing, maybe we'll see if God has us do it again. If not, it'll make it easier on our leadership teams just for this year. I don't, I don't know if you know this or not, but in past years, because of our leadership struggles in, in Kids Connect, we've not done a full Kids Connect in the summer. And we've always lost families who never came back because we didn't have anything for first through fifth graders. So we're just trying some things differently this year to see if we can kind of solve some of those problems. All right, I'm done with my announcements. <laughs> All right, I want to get into my message. And, and here's, here's a thought I, I want us to kind of start with, and then we'll get into our text in James chapter 5. And if you have your own Bible, that's great. And James is over in the back of your New Testament right after the book of Hebrews and just before you get to First and Second Peter. If you didn't happen to bring a Bible for you, there should be one close by underneath your seat or just in front of you or one to one side of you or the other. And the text today is going to be on page 1,027, 1,027. For those of you who are watching us on Facebook Live, you just got to find it with whatever you got. And, um, and I'm going to read for that for just a moment. But here, here's, here's one of the thoughts that, that, that really strikes me, and this, is that when, when we encounter the issue of delayed gratification... We always encounter this question of, is it worth it? When we have a separation between the effort or the struggle we go through and the joy, if you will, the result, the privilege that comes from that, we always ask ourselves a question, I think, informally or formally, is it worth it? Let me give you an example. Yesterday afternoon, Christina had her piano recital for all of her students had it over at Sunrise Assisted Living. And, you know, and, and some of those students, they've done it for a couple of years. She's not going to see them again this fall. It's just too much work to get to the place of being proficient in the piano, so they're going to say it's not worth it. There's a delay between the, between the effort and the gratification because it takes years to get to play well, right? Which is why I gave up the piano in the third grade. <laughs> And I gave up the trumpet at the same time, you know, and, and, you know, but that's not the only scenario. I mean, some of us go through that same question with education, right? We, we, we go through school up to a point where they quote unquote make us go to school. Then most people today finish high school. Some will say, you know, it's not worth going on to university for me and they get an undergraduate degree, I'll just do something different. because and, and that's true. And then some will actually make the choice to go on to graduate school and get a master's degree. But somewhere along the line, you can kind of question of, is the, what I'm investing in it worth what I'm going to get out of it? So you're struggling with this question of, is it worth it? And so in my journey, when I finished my undergraduate at Bates College, it was clearly worth it to me and my calling to go into ministry, to go on to seminary and got a master's degree. But when I came back to New England, back to Massachusetts after getting my degree in Texas, I really thought about doing a doctoral degree. I mean, believe it or not, I was actually a pretty decent student. I know I don't look like it. I don't talk like it. But I was actually a pretty good student, right? And, and so, and I actually took a couple of classes um, in working on a doctorate of theology, Right? But we had our first child, and I realized how much work it was going to be to learn French and German, to go along with the Greek and Hebrew that I had to maintain, and I decided it was not worth it. 
And so I stopped. There's a, and we struggle with it. James is dealing with that same issue in our text today. Here are these people, primarily Jewish by background, who've come to know Christ. It's probably about 30 years after the ascension of Jesus into heaven. And they've been followers of Christ, and it's not been easy. You, he starts the book by saying, you know, whenever you encounter trials, you've got, you got to take those spiritual lemons, and you've got to try to make spiritual lemonade out of it, right? Because life has been hard for them. And he goes right on down the line as we work through the book. And, you know, it's been a lot of difficulty for them to translate their faith into who they are, translate their faith into the way they live their lives, and et cetera. And, and they're struggling, and life's not getting easier for them. And they also thought that Jesus was coming back right away, right? So they remember the stories of the apostles seeing Jesus going up into heaven, and they're like, when is he coming back? And they're starting to ask themselves the question, is it worth it? And as James is talking about reaching a level of spiritual maturity, he tries to speak to them to say, you have to know it's worth it. And that's very much what our text deals with us for today. You know, just before this, James has had his harshest words in the book of James. You know, he's, he's been referring them to the brothers and this and that, but when he gets to the beginning of chapter 5, he, 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 just, he loads up both barrels, cocks it, and fires it. And he has just been all over these people who are, who are using their worldly position to take advantage of those who cannot protect themselves. And he, he has just been, he said, and you better be sure that the day of judgment is coming. But that's what triggers his statements to us about, for those of us who are really trying to live the kind of faith that allows us to follow after the one who walked out of the grave, he said, those of us, we will know it's worth it. And so he picks up in verse 7 of chapter 5. And that's what this word therefore does for us. It points us back to say, you know, this, this judgment that comes, when God steps back into history a second time in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, in the second coming, human history is going to come to an end. It's going to be an accounting for those who took their worldly position and used it for themselves and oppressed others. And there's going to be a place where we're also going to get rewarded for our faithfulness. And we're going to discover that it's worth it. So what I want to do today is I want to work through um, verses 7 through 12. A couple of weeks, we'll wrap up the book. As we do the rest of it, we'll really focus on prayer. And, but I want, to, I want to work through this, and I want to do what we, we typically try to do here at Hope Chapel. First of all, I want you to really understand what the text says. Because the very best thing that we can do to help you have the relationship that you can have with God is for you to be able to have your own conversation with God. And so part of what I want to do every single week is make sure that you walk out of here understanding what God has said to us better than when you came in. Because then you are equipped to have your own conversation with God, and you can take your relationship with God wherever you want to go in terms of being great. But then I want to back up and ask the question, so what does this mean for us? Right? You know, how 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 do we transport 21 centuries forward and ask ourselves the question, what does this mean for how I'm going to go live my life tomorrow? or maybe even this afternoon. 
So let's work through the text together. Let me read it for us. And then I'll go back and make some comments so we'll understand each of the verses, and then I'll try to make some application for us. And, and for those of you who've been around, I want you to really notice the change in tone. Three different times in just these few verses, he's going to refer to these people as his brothers. I mean, James, James's heart is burdened for them. He wants to encourage them and comfort them and inspire them, right? He, he's doing, you know, it's like, you, you know, you, tr- you try to, you know, to, to encourage your child after they've had a major fail. You know, yesterday, Christine, one of Christina's students, you know, they, they didn't really want to play last year, and this year they agreed to play, and just before it was their turn on the program, they turned around to their mom and went, and she went, that encouragement to inspire them, right? That's what, that's what James is trying to do for us, right? So listen to these words. He says, therefore, right? Oops, turned too many pages. Come back here. Here we go. Therefore, brothers, be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also got to be patient. Strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. Brothers, don't, don't complain about one another so that you won't be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. Brothers, Take the prophets. Consider the prophets who spoke the Lord's name as an example of suffering and of patience. See, we count them, we, we count as blessed those who have endured. It says, you heard of Job's endurance and have seen the outcome from the Lord. The Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Now, above all, my brothers, don't swear, either by heaven or by earth, or with any oath. Your yes must be yes, and your no must be no. Sounds exactly like Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, right? One of the things about the book of James, if you've been reading it over and over again, as, as many of you has, have, as we've gone through this series, is that he, even though he, he doesn't quote Jesus directly, doesn't even talk about Jesus very often, he has more references to the teachings of his half-brother than any of the other New Testament writings outside of the Gospels. Your yes must be yes and your no must be no so that you don't fall under judgment. So let's back up a little bit. Because human history is going to come to an end, therefore, right? It says you've got to be patient. And this word patient, you know, it's not a great word in terms of, an, of a translation of what it means in the Greek, right? You know, we think of patient. I, I can be patient standing in a line. You know, and one of the things my wife has come to endure about me is I hate to be in the slowest line. You know, whether, you, whether you're going through a toll booth or whether you're standing, I hate to be there. So when we go to the grocery, okay, I walk up and down. Like, well, all right. But he's not just talking about simple patience. He's talking about endurance. He's talking about perseverance. He's, he's saying, he says, listen, there's an end coming. 
and you're carrying a huge load right now, but man, don't collapse. You've you got you to gotta, you gotta endure. You've got to persevere, right? And you've got to do so because the Lord's coming. And this word coming is really kind of interesting because we think, you know, this word was actually used to describe what a city went through before the monarch came to visit. So if the emperor from Rome was coming, they would say, you know, we need to do all of the stuff that's a part of his coming. Some of you have been here long enough to remember Herbie and Bunty McDougal, who attended here for a while. They, they came to us. They were already, you know, uh, in retirement age, and, and, and Bunty got to a place where she couldn't live in their home, so she was in a nursing home, and, and she was from Scotland, right? And she claimed the, the English crown is her, is her monarch, if you will, right? And I could barely understand her because through her Scottish thing, whatever. But she was all about the big weddings and, you know, the gold chariots and all that kind of stuff. And some of you remember seeing some of those kinds of things, just like we had the big, was it Prince Harry just got married, right? And they rolled out, the, you know, they make a big deal out of it, right? There's a lot of pro He said, you got to remember and you got to bear up because there's a day coming when Jesus is not going to come as a little infant in a quiet corner, born to a couple of people that nobody knew. But he's going to show up with all of the fanfare that goes with the fact that he is the sovereign over the universe. And it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. So don't give up, right? Says, think about a farmer, right? A farmer puts your seed in the ground, and then they wait. You know, I was talking to one of our farmers afterwards. They don't just wait. They, they weed and do this and that, and they prune and all that kind of stuff. But, but man, they... They, they rely on God to bring the early rains, which in this was, was, would be in October, and then they, the late rains would be in March, and then they have the harvest, the, the preciousness. The same thing's happening in your journey with God. There's, there's the early rain that God's given. There's going to be the late rain, but at the end, you're going to inherit the preciousness of following after the one who walked out of the grave alive for all eternity. And he says, it's worth it. It's worth it. So then he moves on in our text, right? He says, so you got to be strength. you got to be patient. Strengthen your hearts. And then he mentions, but don't complain with one, about one another. So where did that come from, right? You know, and I don't know about you, but what do you do when you're stressed out or frustrated? You take it out on the people that you know the best right? You know, when, when you're frustrated, you know, you know like you, you, you bang your hand, you know, you, you hit your, your, your thumb with the hammer, right? And your spouse lovingly says, I wouldn't do that again. You just, Poosh, you know, and, Poosh. Christina never does that. I do that the other way around. I'd say, watch out for that thing you just stub your toe on, right? And, but that's why, I mean, that was one of the great things about having children at home, right? You could just unload on them when you were frustrated. There's nothing they could do about it, right? I'm being facetious, right? But what he's saying is that you're in a community that's under pressure, and you know what? You're going to get stressed out, and you're going to be tempted to turn on one another. In your frustration, you're going to unleash on everybody. He says, don't do that. You know why? Because those are the very people that you need to carry you through in this journey. That's why he made it one body. In Christ. It's in community 
that we get through. He said, so as it gets hard and and you're hurting, and in that hurt, you want to hurt other people, he said, man, clamp down on it, right? Because those are the people that you need to help carry you through. Those are the ones you need to encourage you and to inspire you and to support you and to serve you. Don't, don't, Don't ramp up and unleash, but and because you need those people to go forth. So don't complain one another, against one another. And, and what we can get from the dynamic here is like someone was saying, well, you know, the only reason I lost my shop and they took away my house and I don't know my job and that kind of stuff is because I was more faithful to Christ than you because, you know, and they're, and they're judging one another, right? And he said, don't complain against one another. And then he points to the prophets says, you want a model to follow? Just look at the prophets. says, the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. Being a prophet wasn't always fun. Being a poster child of this is probably the prophet Jeremiah, right? He, he, was, he preached for a long time. Every single message it seemed like that God gave him was a bummer, right? And, 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 and he got thrown into jail on numerous of occasions because his messages were considered to be treasonous. He was not speaking well of the king. He was not speaking well of the future of God's people. And because of that, he was a, he was a traitor. And he kept, but it was the word that God had given him to speak. So he got thrown into jail. He got beaten. He got put in the stocks. One time he got dropped in a cistern and just stuck there. Couldn't get out. And he suffered incredibly. And, and that's why he's called the weeping prophet because it was it was he just suffered and this is what god gave him to do he said but at the end you look around and now we look at him and say man he's one of the blessed ones because he bore up and he got to learn firsthand it's worth it he says what about job you know job all all job do did was do everything he could right in the eyes of god and with that a lot of great things happened in Job's life. And he had a great family, great marriage, successful business, large herds. And just like that, he lost it all. Just like that, he lost it all. And, and, and so those who came to comfort him, and all the, the only energy he had left was literally just to sit on a heap of ashes and mourn. And these guys said, you know, you, you can fix all this. You must have done something wrong. And he said, I, I didn't change anything. It's God who's changed. Though, and, and, said, you know, and, and, and he went through this whole journey of, is it worth it, right? Is it going to be worth it? And it says here that at the end, God rewarded him with compassion, and it was merciful. God showed up and spoke into his need and restored his soul. It's worth it. It's worth it. Not exactly sure if verse 12 is supposed to be connected to 7 through 11, but we're going to do that today because it's always hard to outline a letter, right? He's just writing. But where I see this connection is that it's really tempting to us when the world is trying to put us into a pressure cooker and to say, don't be different than us. It's really, it's, 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 it's easy for us to want to try to adapt our yes so it draws less attention. We want to adapt our no so it draws less criticism. And so we, we really start to struggle with whether or not we are 
honest or authentic in our words. We don't want to flat out deny Jesus like Peter did. But man, we don't have to be like Paul and say, hey, we're center stage in Athens. I want to go, you know? We don't, you know, we're not, you know, so in a nice little corner, I'll be a great witness in my closet, you know? And he said, you can't be doing that. He says, you've got to be people of integrity, and the words that come out of your mouth are going to be truly a yes and truly a no in the fullest sense. All right, we're running out of time. I want to back up and I want to talk about how does this apply to us today? And there's a couple of ways you could process this. One maybe is in the spirit of eschatology. That's the study of the end times. And you could look at it and say, what does this tell us about the coming of Jesus? And that'd be a great topic. I'm just going to set that aside and not deal with it. Right? Another great topic is, what does it really mean to live with hope? Right? I'm going to take that and I'm going to set that aside. Have to come back later and get more at it. Right? What I want to talk to us about, and you'll see this at the the title that I gave this message is the issue of integrity. See, James' objective throughout his book as he writes to these people that he considers to be his family, his passion for them is for them to be complete in their faith, to be truly mature. Another way to say that is that they have to be people who are truly people of spiritual integrity or character. And, and, I, and I think there are some truths from this that really speak to it. I'm probably launching more out of these from verse 12 to get into this concept. But here's three things I, I really think that we need to think about if we're going to deal with this text faithfully in our own journey in the 21st century. And here's the first truth I think we need to think about in the area of spiritual integrity. Is this is that he says to us, I believe, that if you want to call yourself a real follower of Jesus Christ... You can't say you believe in eternity, but live like there's only here and now. Right? You can't say, I, I, I believe in eternity, and he's coming back, and you know this is just a drop in a bucket, but you go out and you live your life like everybody else who believes it's only the 80-plus years we get on this planet. Right? You can't do that. There is no spiritual integrity in saying, I believe in eternity, but I'm going to act as like there's only tomorrow. And I'm going to make every single decision based upon how it affects just these 80 years. And it's really interesting to ask yourself the, the question. I, I, but when you think about, let's just even just take the last month of your life. What have you done differently? What have I done differently in my life because I know I'm going to last for eternity rather than just how it's going to affect my calendar next month or my investments six months from now or my career five years from now? What, what, what have you done? What, what commitment, what sacrifice, what priority, what change have you made based on the fact that you know that what you do now is going to have value for eternity? And that's what he's saying. You, can't, you cannot call yourself a person who has real spiritual integrity if you live your life just like all the other people who believe there's only the here and now. And, you don't, and, it, and, and, and your belief in eternity doesn't impact that at all. And let me get an illustration. For, so, for some of you who have been around for the, most of the 17 years, you've probably heard this story before. But here, here, here's the dynamic, because this is it's kind of touchy-feely stuff, right? It's how, I don't know, maybe, you know, I'm here this morning, right? You know, doesn't that count? You know, and so how does this really affect? And, and, and I think he wants us to allow the future to change in very dramatic ways the way we're living in now. And the illustration that stands out to me the most is, is an experience of my sister-in-law. So 
My sister-in-law, like my brother in those moments, was a heavy smoker. She had fought on numerous occasions to try to stop smoking. Guess what happened when she got pregnant? Just like that. Why? Because she knew that 40 weeks later, there was a future. And it changed everything about how she processed that experience 40 weeks earlier. What James is saying to us is, there's a future. It ought to change everything about the way you're processing now. What's important, what matters, what you invest in, relationships, it should change that stuff, right? And that's why we're in this journey together, because that could be kind of complex in a lot of ways. But I've got to tell you, if, 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 if the out there, the future isn't changing the now, we're, we're really not living with spiritual integrity. We're coming up short. I've got two more. I want to get through really quickly. The second really relates to this idea of not complaining about one another. But I want to cheat a little bit. <laughs> I want to bring a verse in from last week. Chapter 4, verse 17. should be right on the same page you're on now. And, it, and, and he simply, and, he, and this is what he says, right? J- James chapter 4, verse 17. He said, so it is a sin for the person who knows to do what is good and doesn't do it. Right? So he's told us, I don't want you to take the stress out on everyone else because you need everybody else. Right? And, and yet you, I want to go back and couple this with James chapter 4, verse 17. And what he's saying is that it is definitely a sin for us to do what we know we shouldn't do. Agreed? Right? It's a sin if we murder somebody when we know we're not supposed to do that, right? So when we do what we know we're not supposed to do, it's a sin. What James is saying in, in verse 17 of chapter 4 is when we know what to do and we don't do it, it's also a sin, right? We know what to do, we don't do it, and therefore it's a sin. Because when we know what the good is to do and we don't do it, it's just as bad as doing the stuff that we're not supposed to do, but we actually go ahead and do it. And you can draw an equal sign right between those two. Now, that's really humbling, right? You know, because there's lots of things. Some of us are just taking great pride in the fact that I have not chewed out my coworkers in a couple of weeks. <laughs> yes! You know, and, 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 but you take this back, and this, and this, is, this is a powerful application to our relationships, Remember, James has been talking about fulfilling the royal law of love, right? Of loving our neighbor as ourselves. How many of you know some good things you were supposed to do, but maybe haven't gotten around to them lately? I don't see many hands, right? You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's one of these things, that, and it's so overwhelming. He says, if you're going to live your life within spiritual integrity, right? It's not just about holding back. You can't, you can't just keep from tearing people down. You have to actually be about building people up. You, you, you've got to be edifying. You've got to be blessing. You've got to be supporting, right? And, and, and that takes it to a whole new level for us. What's interesting, and I said this in the first service, is that sometimes the hardest place for us to do that is in our core relationships. For some of you, the hardest thing that you're going to do is actually serve your spouse, 
Didn't Jesus say, if you want to be great, you're going to become the servant of all? Most of us say, well, all means anybody who doesn't live inside my four walls, right? Because they're, they're family. They're not a part of all. They're family. I don't have to serve, you know, but, or forgive, right? And, and, or to love. And, and Jesus said, you know the good you're supposed to do when you don't do it? It's sin. And he said, spiritual integrity says that I understand not only am I not supposed to tear them down, but I'm also trying to build them up. Right? I'm not just trying not to hurt them. I'm trying to give myself to them. And it's a very interesting kind of dynamic to think about because and, 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 those two things come together. as we fulfill. And, and, and he says spiritual integrity means that it transforms the way we do relationships, both what we don't do and what we do do. Got one last truth, and that's related to verse 12. And he says, you've got to let your yes be yes and your no be no. Now, there's a little backdrop here where, you know, in, in Jewish culture in those times, and they're not that re- far removed from it, just a few decades, it was this idea, you know, okay, all right, I'll, I'll give you an oath, but it's really not an oath I have to keep, right? You know, it's like, you know, you're, you're, you're pinky swearing, but you've got your fingers crossed behind your back at the same time, right? You, 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 know, you know, and I'm using the kind of silly kind of imagery, but that, that's what they were trying to do. And he says, no, 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 no. You, you need to be very transparent in who you are. You need to be the real deal. Not only in what you do, but in what you say, right? Because it is in our voices, right? It's in, it, it's, it, it is out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. And he, what he wants coming out is he wants there to be an alignment between our convictions about who Jesus is and who we're supposed to be in Christ and our character, what we actually do. He wants those two things to be in alignment. You know, I was... I, I was remembered a story this week, and as far as I can tell, it's accurate, but there was a time in his journey that Gandhi, who was a major influencer in the nation of India, was, was really intrigued by the teachings of Jesus, and he was actually considering becoming a Christian, and he was living in South Africa at the time, studying law, and, and he was reading a lot, of, and he was just really taken with who Jesus was. And so he, he bought a Bible, and, and he went to go to church on a Sunday morning and to worship with the Christians. And as he walked up to the door, he was told he was not welcome there. Because his skin wasn't the right color. Now, and, and you could, there's lots of, but their convictions, Christ died for the whole world, and their character can't have those kinds of people in here. They didn't line up, did they? And in a simple but profound way, he's saying that what we believe about who God is and the way we do our lives, those two things have to be in alignment with one another. And that goes back to our voices because our words are a really clear picture. They are the, the thermometer, if you will, to tell us what our spiritual temperature is. In the midst of all of this is because it is our voices that bear the witness to the good news of Jesus Christ. And so what, who we are and what we say 
is a huge part of how God unleashes his power through the gospel in the world. And, and that message is, is that God has personally intervened in human history in the person of his son to do for us what we could not do for ourselves, which is to merit heaven, merit eternity. And because he is fully God and fully man, because of his life and death and sacrifice, he's able to satisfy what God requires for all of us if by our faith we will allow God to bring us in to his family. And we become the children of God. And it might be a hard journey to live all that out on this planet. But James would say to us, it's worth it. It's worth it. And even though the fullness of the gratification may be delayed, he doesn't want to give uh, us to give up. He wants us to endure because it's worth it. And my invitation to you today is to believe in the one who came to be the substitute for us, our means of having a relationship with Jesus Christ, to have a personal faith in Jesus Christ, and then to endure living that out because it's worth it. Let's pray together. Father, in the book of Deuteronomy and other places, you promised to send the early rains. You promised to send the late rains. Father, you also promised to send your son, and you did. And you promised to send him again. And today we believe you will. So, Father, show us at the very profound level of who we are and what we do. Show us and teach us that it's worth it. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.